0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good morning, church. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as you're doing that. Uh, so every once in a while we have an opportunity to acknowledge a work that God is doing in in a person's life, um, in in the body of Christ in particular. And uh, the Lord appoints people to positions in the church. And, um, you know, so we always are always watching and seeking the Lord and and what the Lord would have for our body. You know, we believe that God, uh, hey, he he brings giftings uh, from various different people for the purpose of ministering to our body locally. And so uh, we're always looking for People, We're always praying, God, who would you um, have to fulfill different roles in the leadership? And one of those roles is the elder of a church. You know, the elder is an overseer of the church, somebody who has a direct oversight over people. He's been a, uh, given authority by God to be a representative uh, for him to the body of Christ, to minister to the body, to correct, exhort, rebuke, you know, train people. Uh, that's the characteristic of an elder, um, some churches, you know, their their elders or their pastors. We differentiate between the two, but uh, we 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 look for people that have the characteristics defined in First Timothy chapter three, verses, particularly verses one through eight, talking about the overseer, the qualifications of an overseer. And uh, you can read through that list, and you can see that, you know, the the Lord is just looking for people that are sold out to Him, you know, and who are gifted by Him for the purpose of ministering to the body. So today we have the privilege of being able to acknowledge what God has been doing in a particular man's heart and his family to prepare them for this day where we will, as the eldership of this church, lay hands on them and, uh, you know, just acknowledge the appointment by God for this person. And and it happens to be the Buckley family, Alan Buckley and Crystal and their family. uh, We're going to invite them up. Also, the elders of our church. Yeah, so... If you know these guys, you know they've been an incredible blessing to our body in a lot of different ways. Um, just mature Christian believers, but also, uh, you know, just servants at heart and willing to jump in anywhere at any point. And um, what, what I find often is, you know, it's not wrong to seek a position, but what I find is the people who who are really appointed by God are already doing these things outside of. Uh, You know really having a title and that's really what we look for. We're not interested in titles titles generally mess people up. Amen and uh, We've seen that before but we still don't shy away from acknowledging what God is doing and Alan has been an incredible brother in the Lord And I've been here for a couple years from Modesto, California But their family has been raised up in a great Bible teaching church and uh, they have they have been a huge blessing to our body so this morning uh, you know by the elders of our church Uh, Randy and Mike and Dave, we've been praying about this for a long time and uh, we believe that now is the time and so we're just going to lay hands on Alan and and his family and just ask the Lord to bless as they step into this role. And I would encourage you to pray for uh, Alan and his family as they step into this because, you know, you know how it goes. Every time you step into something, the enemy is right there trying to rip you down and um, so you pray for these guys. But um, Alan is going to be serving a specific role in our church, and we'll as we, we'll kind of get that defined. But he is an incredible brother in the Lord, and I hope you get to know him. And so, um, le- we're going to lay hands on Alan. And be- before we do that, actually, I just want to read an exhortation from Peter. Peter writing to the persecuted Gentile church, First Peter chapter five, speaking to the elders, the overseers of the church. So I'm going to read this to Alan. Alan, I exhort you as a fellow elder. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who uh, in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, And so we just thank you, Alan, for your willingness to serve. Thank you, Crystal. We have gone through the process and even his wife acknowledges that he is the man that we thought he was. So praise God for that. (laughs) That says a lot. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Alan and for Crystal and for their family here. And uh, we just acknowledge what you're doing in their lives, Lord. Uh, We look forward to just the leadership of Alan and how he will add to the eldership of this church and just guiding and directing as you see fit. Father, we we just thank you for bringing people with giftings for the purpose of serving your body. And what a blessing it is to have the Buckley family here. We pray that you just guide Alan and his decisions and fill him with your spirit. Give him wisdom as he ministers to the body here at Calvary. And also for Crystal, um, you know, that you just continue to guide and keep her as well. She has been a blessing to the women's ministry in this church and just uh, pray that you continue to use her in that way. We believe, Lord, you call um, not just the man, but you call the wife as well and that they're both in full-time ministry. We are called to be one. And so here we lay hands on this, on this family, Lord, on Alan and Crystal and their kids, and we ask you to just put a hedge of protection around them, Lord, that you would just guide them and you would keep them and that you would use them mightily for your uh, fame and glory, Lord. You're so good. What an awesome uh, addition to our leadership here. And we thank you for it. And we give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. So, Acts chapter 2 this morning, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts in the series I've entitled Church on Fire. And uh, last week, we talked about the baptism of the Spirit. And, um, you know, different people have different ideas about what that is. We try to just look at it through the scriptures and uh, believe that it's a special empowerment for the purpose of witness. And um, so, here we have, uh, we saw last week that it was manifest in the gift of tongues. We talked about that extensively extensively. Not, not exhaustively, though. There's plenty of study to be done on that. But I think you would get a good grasp of what the gift of tongues is if you missed it last week, if you go back and listen to the sermon. And you can pick it up on our um, Apple Podcast, Google Play, uh, our Facebook page, or our YouTube channel. Just go there and listen. If you're, if you're interested in that and have an understanding of it, if you don't have an understanding of it, or you want to understand what we believe the Bible teaches about it, go there and listen to that sermon. It will help you extensively. We believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was manifest in the gift of tongues there, but that's not the only way that it happens. It's an empowerment for the, uh, the, the people of God to be messengers in the world, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So that's the point of it. And um, what we're gonna see here today is really the second gifting, like the gift of tongues as I taught last week was kind of like the rattle the cage to get people's attention. And now the word of God will go forward and you'll see the response from the word of God that 3000 people are added to the church. So it's a shift in gifting here. We'll find that, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit gets the people interested in what that what is going on there, and now the gifting of the of teaching or or even the prophetic gift of speaking forth the word of God will go forward and I'll explain more about that. Stand with me. We're going to read a portion of our scripture here today. And then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it and we'll, we'll read the rest of it as we go line by line through it. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you to speak to our hearts, Lord. We we want to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that you guide my words, that you would stop any words that aren't of you and that you would just teach us, Lord, relating to the spirit of God who has been so misused, abused, and so misunderstood We pray this morning that we would have clarity regarding the Holy Spirit who is the power of God in us to do the work that we've been called to do. So Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you have probably heard a few life-changing stories sermons some of you probably even have some of those on cd or cassette tape right anybody got a collection of cassette tapes of sermons that you're like man these are awesome listen not everybody grew up in the digital age we didn't have podcasting when i became a christian and so we had to get copies go back to the sound booth and get a copy of the cd or the cassette tapes you know, of these kind of things. Some of you guys probably got old eight tracks up in your garage, you know, (laughs) trying to find an eight track player, dude. (laughs) Hey, but, 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 you know, there's been probably a few sermons that you remember to this day that have impacted your life in such a way that you're like, I will never forget that. And I believe that acts chapter two verses 14 through 41 is such a sermon as that like a life changing sermon, not just for the 3,000 people or so that get saved in this, uh, after the the message goes forward here, but for you and I this morning. This is the direct word of God. What's interesting about this is Peter doesn't expound. We're expounding on what he said, and just in what he said alone, people got saved. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we over-explain things. You know, here we have... Peter just giving out and and, and, and because a lot, the message went forward in a way that was understandable to the people. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to speak in the moment that we need them, in the way that people need to hear them. And if we don't operate in the Spirit of God, then we won't be able to be used the way that God wants to use us. Sometimes God wants to, He wants to exhort somebody. Oh, I don't know, is that my place? Don't judge me. Hey, some, sometimes God wants to correct somebody. Sometimes God wants to encourage somebody. You know, are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you? Peter steps up in this moment, and when he does, there's power. There is an incredible impact that he makes. You recall, uh, last week, you know, we, we talked about the, the, the gift of tongues coming upon the disciples, and, and what happened was, There were people outside of those walls, outside of the upper room there, and they heard the disciples speaking in their native languages, and that caused their ears to perk up. And they were like, what in the world is going on? And are these not Galileans? Like, these aren't trained men. They shouldn't know these languages, is the idea. There was something miraculous happening. And and it, it goes on here that they were they were so perplexed that it says in verse 12 and 13 that they were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? They had questions. They knew something miraculous was going on, but they did not have understanding of what it was. So they asked the question, what does this mean? Uh, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine." with new wine. And so this is where we pick it up in our sermon. Peter now is going to address these questions in what I'm entitling A Sermon to Remember. A Sermon to Remember. He starts with an exhortation here in verse 14. Look with me, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. Now, what Peter says here." What he's doing is he's exhorting the crowd to listen up. Like pay special attention to what I'm about to say. God has come down in power. You have questions about how that works. And I'm about to deliver a message to give you understanding of this. But you must give ear. And I would say that's an exhortation to us every time we open the word of God. Do you give ear to the word of God. Are you interested in God speaking to you that you might live in accordance to what he's calling you to, how he's calling you to live and do the things that he's calling you to do? Or are you just running it through a checking a box? You know, how are you reading the word of God? Are you genuine in what your desires are for the reading of the word of God? It is, it is beneficial to us guys. If we allow it to be but if we don't have an ear to hear we'll miss what's being said and some do miss it here And do you know because they are? They are deafened They are deafened to what peter says here by their preconceived ideas of the messiah Sometimes we come into uh, you know We listen to a sermon online or we come into a church and we have our preconceived ideas about a text and we're not willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. You know, it's fine to have your positions and all, but here's the thing is I find that when I come across a scripture in in a new and a fresh way that, hey, God speaks to me. God speaks to me and he wants to speak to you. There is one interpretation of scripture, but there is a million applications, folks. You can read the scripture over and over and over again, and it's never going to change what it means, but it will perhaps change the way that you apply it in your life. So have an ear to hear. I've already heard that. Oh? Really? Have you arrived spiritually? Pride will stop you from growing in Jesus Christ, folks. Pride will stop you. God wants us to have an ear to hear. Peter, that's the first thing that he says to these guys. Listen up, guys. Listen up. Something profound is about to come forward and you'll miss it if You block it out by your preconceived ideas about what I'm about to say. Says that he then lifts his voice up. He's speaking to them in a way that is respectful, but at the same token, he's going to get their attention. He's exhorting them. Next, we find him go into the explanation of what happened. Look at verse 15. For these people are... Not drunk as you suppose Since it's only the third hour of the day But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel and in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out My spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my uh, male servant and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy And I will show wonders in the heavens above the uh, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter addresses the mockers first. Do you know it's Peter in his in his in Peter's later writings? He says, Listen, in the last days, mockers will come. How does he know? Ask him. Because he's been there. He's been mocked. He knows these things. He's been mocked. And now he addresses the mockers immediately. Because oftentimes when there's some kind of a miraculous thing that God does, man tries to explain it away. Oh, it was this, it was that. No, no. You thought, you think they're drunk, they're not drunk. Hey, by the way, it's nine. M. Now to you guys that might not mean anything You're like yeah, so people get drunk at 9 a.m. in America <laughs> Not in this culture in this culture. You understand First and foremost, this is the day of Pentecost This is a feast day. This is a holy day people ain't getting drunk in Jerusalem They might get drunk other times, but not this time Number two is there was a Sabbath that had just happened. They weren't on a binger all night. And then they came through. They, what Peter says here is, guys, come on. Nobody's sipping on grandpa's cough medicine here. They're not, they're not drunk. And you know that. So first and foremost, this is kind of a rebuke to them. He, he wants them to understand. Listen up. No, no. What's happening here, what's happening here is prophecy is being fulfilled before your eyes. And he says it's the, through the prophet Joel. We see that he talks about what will happen in the last days. He says that, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. People are going to be prophesying, not just some, but all. In the Old Testament, remember the, 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 the prophets of the Old Testament, um, you know, the spirit of God wasn't inside of them. He came upon them and he used them in various different ways. Not everybody in Judaism had that experience. It was specific to these men who God would speak through. You know, they were special vessels that God would use, not because they were special, but because God, you know, he he had used them in that way. The Holy Spirit spoke through them. But what is being said here is that changes in the new covenant. Everything changes. The Holy Spirit now comes upon all flesh. He's poured out on every, everybody who's a believer now will have the, the Holy Spirit poured out just like we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit has gifts for everybody. It's not just some Christians, but every Christian has been given spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit. Here today, after Second Service, we're going to have a believers' meeting or an afterglow, we call it, where we're just going to sit and wait on the Holy Spirit and see what he does. We're going to pray prayers and we're going to um, hopefully have words of knowledge that will come forward and we're going to wait on the Spirit of God and we're going to do it in an orderly fashion in accordance to the word. We're going to wait on the Lord. You're welcome to join us. I'd love to have you. If you're, I told you last week, if you're confused about these things, come and, and just, just just let the Lord speak to you. We're going to do some worship and some prayer and stuff. It's not going to be weird. We're going to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do, though. Yeah? And so Peter is drawing them, listen to this, not to his own words, but to the word. Peter's not trying to explain this in his own way. Like, guys, let me tell you what's going on here. He, he directs them directly to the Word of God. And that's what we should do. What does the Word say about what it is that, y- you know, people have questions about? What does the Word say? Well, the, the, uh, the co- most common phrase that should come out of your mouth should be, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says you can't say that if you don't know it. That, that causes, a, that's an automatic, like, I need to be in the Word so that I can give the Word. Now, With that said, the Holy Spirit has the capacity to bring to remembrance things. And sometimes maybe even speak directly through us in things that we weren't even aware that we, that, that, you know. Sometimes, you know, scripture comes to my mind and I'm thinking like, is that in the Bible? (laughs) It sounds good, but man, is that in the Bible? And I'm like, oh gosh, I hope so. (laughs) You know what happens is sometimes though, we'll, we'll operate in fear. And we know we're supposed to say something when we won't. Hey, listen, if the Holy Spirit's telling you to say something, you say it. You know, err on the side of faith. Err on the side of faith. Say what God tells you to say. Peter doesn't have a scroll here, folks. He didn't, like, hey, who's got the scroll of Joel here? Let's bring it out and read it. He doesn't have that. Then how in the world is he quoting this? And by the way, he didn't say Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 30, 32 either. They didn't have that either. They didn't have those, those references like we do to help us remember the, the word of God. He had been um, risen in, in the word. He knew the word to a, to a point, but the Holy Spirit is causing his remembrance here to say, listen, the prophet of Joel is going to pour out the spirit of God, said the, the spirit of God will be poured out. Now, he probably wasn't saying that on day 49. Of the, uh, you know, from the day that Jesus rose again from the dead. He probably wasn't saying that. He's probably like, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Now, I think this is Holy Spirit inspired. And God will give you what you need in the moment. He told his disciples already that they shouldn't be fearful about what they're going to say when they're delivered up. To authorities and kings and magistrates and all these kinds of people. Just rely on the Holy Spirit. Who, who, Who has a problem with that? anybody have a problem with uh, relying on the Holy Spirit why because we're not in control because we're not in control we're we're relying on the whole do you trust God do you trust him at his word do you trust he's going to do what he says man I don't know if I'm if I'm Peter am I stepping up in this situation and just start speaking to these guys who have been raised in the word they, they've been raised in the Old Testament they know the scriptures Guys, let me explain this to you. You're a Galilean, Peter. Sit down. No, no. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is God, and he's our teacher, so here's the word. You don't be fearful about what the Lord wants to say. Peter's telling them that this is a fulfillment of the prophetic word of God. Did they know this scripture? Of course they did. Of course they understood this scripture. Peter is explaining That the the spirit of god will be poured out. Listen to this phrase in the last days What he's saying is right now At this point the last days have started the last days have started Remember jesus when he went into nazareth and he pulled the 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 scroll of isaiah Out and he read a a section of it. He didn't he didn't even read the whole thing He just read a a section of it and then he said um, In the hearing of these words, this has been fulfilled before you Close it up and they wanted to kill him They wanted to kill him because they knew that what that said that said he's the Messiah When Peter says this they know what this means They understand the phrase the last days the last days um, You know in, in their understanding would it would be sometime between the first and the second coming of Christ They didn't believe in two first and second coming of Christ. They believed in one So I'm sure they got questions immediately like hold on a second. last days have started yeah because the messiah has come you killed him peter will go on to say this but but the reality of it is is he's saying listen this is what you can look for this and again the prophecy is a sign to them so that they know where they're at in the in in terms of the timeline of the prophecy of the last days and peter's saying the last days are now they've now started folks and let me tell you this if peter i don't think peter understood that it was going to be 2,000 years and we're still, the Holy Spirit's still going to be being poured out on all flesh. And that he's, you know, it's, I don't think he thought that. I thought he thought, hey, we're going to see Jesus come back soon. And he is coming soon, but it's in his timing. People keep saying like, oh man, Jesus has been saying that for years. It doesn't make it any less true. The reality of it is the last days is a, is a time frame and it's up to God to determine that time frame. And we just sit and rest in him. We believe that if that was the last of days, we're in the last of the last days, folks. This is the last of the last days. How do we know? There are also signs that we can look for. This was a sign for the, um, the, the brothers in, in, in the Jewish faith to look for in related to the Messiah. This would be fulfilled when the Messiah came. And now it's being fulfilled. So they have to have some questions. Hey, look around, folks. Paul said in the last days in first, uh, 2 Timothy 3, he talks about some things that we should be looking for in the last days. L- listen to what he says to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Anybody experience any times of difficulty here in our world today? We, we live in a time of difficulty. Globally, not just, not just locally, but globally, this is a time of difficulty. Listen to why it will be difficult, and then it will m- even make more sense. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He tells Timothy, avoid such people. Avoid such people. Don't get sucked into that, Timothy. That's what it's going to look like in the last days. Does it not look like that? It is very, it looks like that very much. The prophetic word of God is, is, it's signs. They're meant to give us signs to where we are in the prophetic picture of things. I mean, look around, man. We have motherships and sending down probes in the galaxy. We got worms raining in China. I mean, there's seriously, there are wars and rumors of wars. There are earthquakes and there are, there are pestilences and there are things happening around the world today. And again, I'm not, that's, that's meant to show us where we are prophetically, folks. Jesus said in Matthew 24, these are the things that you can look for, but these are just the beginning. These are just the beginning. These are just kind of to give you an idea, hey, where are we in, in the scope of all things, you know, in the scope of the prophetic picture, Lord? And he's showing us. One of the things that we see here is Peter is saying, hey, this has been fulfilled right here. The Holy Spirit's being poured out right now. The last days have come. But he then goes on to talk about something else that didn't necessarily happen right in that moment. Draw your attention to verses 19 and um, 20 there. And it says, and I will show wonders in the heavens above the signs on the earth below, uh, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before, listen, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Peter says the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all people who believe. So that's happening right now, right as he's speaking that that happened and that's continued to happen. This, however, didn't happen right in that moment. They weren't like, look at the sky. I mean, it just happened. No, it didn't just happen. This is, um, the, I, I believe that this has somewhat happened I think there are pictures of this that we see if you there's been blood moons, you know that have come through Cosmic things that are happening in the world today. Is that a total fulfillment of this? I think they're precursors to this I think the, f- the fulfillment of this is found in Revelation chapter 6 at the opening of the sixth seal um, It sounds a lot similar anyway revelation 6 verse 12 when he opened his the sixth seal I looked And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its uh, uh, winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So before the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is probably a time frame, you know, the probably the 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 tribulation period but the day of the lord is the coming of jesus christ it's when he comes he's saying these things will happen before the coming of the lord and i think these things will happen in the seven year tribulation period where they're going to see things that are undeniable folks they're going to fulfill scripture in the same way that is being done right before the people that peter's speaking to hey man this is so So on the spot it's exactly what it says right here and people will still reject it and in fact we read in the book of revelation that um, people are so hard-hearted that they will seek for the mountains to fall on them rather than bow their knee to jesus that's how hard-hearted people will be in the tribulation period but the point of all of that is god wants to save people and this is his last-ditch effort Jesus spoke something similar in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will, be, will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth, uh, heaven to the other what what peter is explaining here in these particular verses from joel chapter 2 is i think future and that's often how prophecy works there's a near fulfillment of, of prophecy and oftentimes there's a, a there's a later fulfillment of prophecy you see that a lot of times in the prophetic word of God. But what Peter is saying is, this has started, folks. The outpouring, it starts with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that has come, and, and so now you can be ready. And then he ends that prophecy with these words. Listen to this. And who call upon, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's talking about the gospel message here going forward. You call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Now, the biggest question that we should have relating to that statement is, what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? What does that phrase mean? If that's how I'm saved, I need to understand, what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? I think Romans 10.9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead we will be saved to call upon the name of the lord uh, is to recognize that he is lord and it is to declare his lordship over your life it is to recognize that he has died for your sin that he rose again from the dead giving you victory taking your sin and giving you his righteousness to call upon the name of the lord means that it's not to just say a prayer and then hope that you have a ticket to heaven and then you're good. That's not what it means. To call on the name of the Lord is literally a lifetime commitment to Jesus, folks. It's not just a one. It is a, it's a one-time judicial act, I believe. I think Romans 5.1 says that. You're justified. God has declared you, uh, you know, right before him. Through the righteousness of jesus christ that's a one-time act but it's a lifelong commitment it's a lifelong commitment have i really done this have i really called upon the name of the lord to be saved how would i know that the bible tells us 2 corinthians five seventeen: if anybody's in christ he's what a new creation has your life changed that's how i know i'm justified before the father is because my life has changed Listen, we talked about the relationships of the Holy Spirit inside of, you know, the Holy Spirit's with everyone. Then he comes inside of us, sealing us that, we're, that with a guarantee of promise, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. But then he comes upon us, which is the third relationship that's being spoken of in Acts 2. If you are, if you call upon the name of the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. How could you not know that? How could you not experience that? Like it doesn't mean that, I like how Kirk Cameron says it. He said, you know, I was driving on the road I and and this I was I think he was listening to something and he's just like, I need Jesus, man. And he said he was crying. He pulled over and he just said, Lord, I accept you. And he goes, it's not like the Holy Spirit came through his, uh, you know, his vents in his car. And all of a sudden he's like, whoa, you know, that that's not what happened. Nothing happened. But everything happened. He said it wasn't a feeling. It wasn't, and, and that's the reality, man. It's a decision, folks. When you make the decision, and you you trade your your unrighteousness for His righteousness, and then it's a lifelong process of trying to live for Him. But the biggest question is, have you called upon His name? Have you really declared Him as Lord? That's what's the requirement. Do, you know, do you believe? Well, so do the demons, and they shudder. The question is, is He your Lord? And I'll tell you. If you think that um, God should be obedient to your plans, he's not your Lord. If you think that he should revolve around you and you not around him, he's not your Lord. You know, uh, the Lordship means that, hey, I'm yours, do whatever you want with me. That's what Jesus said. Father, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do, your will be done. It didn't mean he didn't have a question in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, if there's any other way, let this pass from me, but your will be done. Is he your Lord this morning? I remember by my, one of my mentors, a guy God radically used in my life. I love this guy dearly. He um, helped me start a business and um, just was a, a, you know, a spiritual father to me, helped me in, in life all the way around. And he was the most godly man that I've ever known. And I, I was with the guy a lot. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes 24 hours a day, we were in other countries traveling together. This guy is literally the most godliest man I know. And, you know, and he lived his life that way. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And I remember he told me one time, he, he got cancer and he ended up dying. And we was battling cancer, he said to me, um, yeah, he goes, man, it was crazy because I was in my prayer closet one day and I was, I was asking the Lord, um, I was just, I was just really kind of just telling God how much I love him. I was really just, you know, just like, Lord, I love you so much. Thank you for all that you've done. And that's the kind of guy this guy was, you know, he said in that moment when I was really just kind of praising God and just telling him how much I, Lord, do, do I really love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? I want to. And the Lord said, well, let me ask you, Lloyd, Would you love me if you got cancer? Would you love me if you got cancer? And he said, I literally, I thought about that for a second and I said, I said, well, Lord, yeah, because he knew what God was saying. And he said, yeah, Lord, I'd love you even if I got cancer. And he ended up getting cancer and guess what? He's healed. He's healed now. He's with the king, he's praising the Lord. Sometimes it doesn't work out like we think. But if he's Lord, his will be done, amen? He's got the plan. He's got a purpose. Call upon his name. That's the point of this. This is the the exhortation, the explanation. And now Peter gives us the exposition of his sermon here. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words says concerning him I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption you have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness in your presence Peter Again, ask for these guys' attention. You guys, pay attention. Whoa. That's what he was doing. It's like, pay attention. Listen closely to what I'm about to say, and the immediate words that come out of his mouth is Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, listen, if you ever hear a sermon and the words Jesus aren't ever mentioned, you're listening to the wrong sermons. The entirety of the Bible is Jesus is the central theme. He is the centrality of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. It's about God sending his son to be a sacrifice for us. God wants us to know him, and we can know him through his son. What we have to do is look at Jesus. Peter is drawing their attention to the right person because it's only the name of Jesus that anybody can be saved. He said, man, Jesus of Nazareth, let me tell you about Jesus. This is the whole point of everything that's happened up to this point. This is why he's having this conversation. This is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit had come so Peter could be a witness of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why he's empowered here. This is the reason why you're empowered. Not so that we can do cool things. Hey, look at this. Look at this. You know, I mean, that's not the point of giftings. The point of giftings is so we can get to the point, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the point. We want to get to that point. He gets to the point, and he begins to tell them why Jesus is Messiah. Why is Jesus the Messiah? Because he attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Now, why do you suppose he said that? He said that because he knew that they knew that the Messiah, when he came, would do these things. He would do mighty works and wonders and signs. And remember what the religious leader said to Jesus? After he had just done some miraculous signs, hey, show us some real signs. Now it's like, what are you talking about? Show us some, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, Crack open the sky or something. You know, let's really see a sign that you're Messiah. I mean, it's not enough that he raised people from the dead. He gave the deaf hearing and uh, the blind sight and uh, cast out demons and all of these kinds of things. But they wanted a real sign. Are you kidding me? That's the signs that were given by the prophets, folks. The reason Peter is bringing it up in this way is because he's saying Jesus was the Messiah. It was prophesied that Jesus would do these things. Do you know? Remember when John the Baptist was in prison, and he's about to give his life; he's about to give up his life, and he sends the, his disciples to Jesus, and he says, "Go ask Jesus if we should look for somebody else or if he's the Messiah." Right? Listen to what. Listen to how Jesus deals with this question. Luke chapter seven, verse twenty-one through twenty-four. It says, in that hour, in what hour? In the hour that the disciples came and asked Jesus this question, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Go tell John what you just saw and what you just heard. What he is doing is pointing him to, to the prophetic word of God. He's saying, hey, I just fulfilled many of the prophecies of Isaiah in your, in your, right before your eyes. You're not even hearing about it from somebody else. I just did it in front of you. Now go tell John. He's giving him the confidence. But here's what I said before. I'll say it again. Signs and wonders will never produce faith, folks. Signs and wonders will never produce faith. That's not the point. They're just signs. They're supposed, to, they're supposed to perk our interest to get us to understand. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. What do the Scriptures say? That the Messiah would do these things. And He did these things. Jesus of Nazareth, He was a testimony. Before you, all of these things, everybody in that crowd heard about Jesus and knew about Jesus. They knew what he did. They had had attested to the mighty works and the wonders and the signs of this. Peter goes on to say, and then he was delivered up. Listen, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, this was planned is what he's saying. God, this was God's plan for Jesus. God's plan for Jesus was that he would be delivered up, he would be crucified, and then he'd raise again from the dead. That was the purpose of it. Now, he uses, and it's important that Peter mentions this, his foreknowledge. In other words, God knows everything. the end from the beginning. He understands how the the people are going to respond to the gospel, how they're going to respond to Jesus. He knows they're going to reject him, so he uses them. And that's how god uses evil he doesn't orchestrate it but he uses it he incorporates it he has foreknowledge in these things but his plan regardless of how it happened was for jesus to die and rise again from the dead that was his that was his plan he said it in isaiah 53 verse 10 yet it was the will of the lord to crush him he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days the will of the lord shall prosper Um, In his hand This isn't the first time that this is spoken of we see the very first time that jesus was going to be Killed was genesis chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. The lord speaking to satan Says, hey, man, he's gonna crush you You're, You're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna crush your head And do you know at the crucifixion of jesus christ and then he rose again from the dead? satan's head was crushed It was, it was crushed. He was crushed. What's interesting here is he follows this up. Yes, it was God's plan. He foreknew and all this, but you crucified him. And this is a personal indictment. Now, were all of those guys there when Jesus was crucified? They're from all over the place. Were they there 50, I guess it would have been 52, 53 days ago. Were they there when Jesus was crucified? This wasn't very far from there. I mean, this is only 50-some days before this. Jesus was hung, hung on a cross. Were they all there? Probably not. But what is he saying? You had the prophetic word of God, and you rejected Jesus. You rejected the signs. You rejected him as Messiah. Therefore, you're responsible for his crucifixion. Now, here's what I'll say to you. There isn't a sense. There's a sense in which we too are responsible for the delivering up of, of Jesus. It was our sin that held him there. We, he, he went to the cross for you and I. So, in a sense, we're all guilty of the blood of Jesus. And there's a judgment for those who reject the gospel. Eternal damnation. You know, and part of that is re- relating to the blood of Christ that was shed on be on our behalf. We are guilty of the blood of jesus i remember the first time i heard the song thief by third day i was driving i said this not too long ago i was driving 5 30 a.m going to the gym and i just became a christian and i heard these words i'm a thief i'm a murderer and i just started crying because i realized in that moment not knowing anything really about the bible all of a sudden i realized that's me he died for me like that like not because i'm a good guy because i'm a bad guy That's why he died. Why were you yet still sinners? Christ died, man. And notice this, though. I love what Peter says here. He died, and then he rose again from the dead, loosening the pangs of death. Jesus loosened the pangs of death. It was impossible for death to hold him down. Why? Because he's perfect. Because he was perfect, death could not hold him down. And if you're in Christ, death cannot hold you down either. That's why the resurrection is so important to us. It is the linchpin of our faith. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. Man, the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us all that Jesus' sacrifice is is sufficient for us. That we can trust in it. And And, and Peter is... Praising the Lord. And then he points again to the prophetic word of God and says, David spoke about the resurrection. And he talks about, he points them to uh, Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And it's talking about how the Holy One will not, this is David prophesying relating to Jesus in first person. This isn't about David, it's about Jesus. And Peter makes it clear David wasn't talking about himself. This is he he puts the exclamation point on on this sermon right here in verse 29 where he goes on to explain that brothers I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and His tomb is with us this day Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him That he would set one of his descendants on his throne He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted in the right hand of God, uh, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves might are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, "The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my, um, at my right hand until." I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, and uh, for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the bow tie on the end of Peter's sermon. It This is incredible what he has to say here. He points to again. He brings up the resurrection. The resurrection will become one of the single most important topics as the gospel goes forward. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, because without it, we're in trouble. Paul says, "Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're dead in our sins. But because Jesus did raise from the dead, we are we are a shoes in for heaven if we are in Him." Amen. David, he you know, I, I imagine he's like, "Dude, David's tomb is right over there, and guess what? If we pop that door open, he's going to be in there." He 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 tells these guys that go look. His tomb's, we, When we're in Jerusalem, we go by the tomb of David. It's, it's there. And guess what? His bones are inside. Maybe. I don't know. That was a long time ago. I don't know if they survived. But when I go to the tomb of Jesus, it's empty. When I go to the tomb of Jesus, there's not even cloths in there, guys. It's, there's nothing in there. It looks brand new. I mean, he was only in there for a couple days. Man. Peter is making a profound statement to these guys that David was not talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus. And then he brings up something crucial to their faith, the Davidic covenant. What's the Davidic covenant? That is the covenant where God told David that his throne shall be eternal, that it shall last forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and i will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever and here's what happened david's son solomon who is david's biological son raised up built the temple and then uh you know uh the offspring of david who is jesus christ according to the genealogies of matthew and luke both through Mary and Joseph. There's no way around it. He is, he is the uh, lineage of David. He fulfills that, and that throne belongs to Jesus. He will not see corruption. It wasn't speaking about, G- Joseph, about um, David. It was speaking about Jesus. Peter builds his emphasis again on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then he comes to uh, the, the pivotal point in the sermon where he says and this is the exclamation point on this let all the house of israel therefore know for certain that god has made him both lord and christ this jesus whom you crucified boom roasted not really but i mean he's this is the exclamation point this is the this is all i got to say guys this is it jesus christ is the lord and he's the christ And check this out. Look at the response now, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter, making that declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord and Christ whom you crucified. All of a sudden, now they're cut to the heart, totally convicted. Who does that convicting? The Holy Spirit. Right now, the Holy Spirit begins to draw these guys. They they are understanding this. There's an intellectual understanding, but there is far more than that. There's a spiritual understanding happening. There's something, there's a connection with the Holy Spirit here where now they are cut to the heart. They're convicted by what's being said. And uh, uh, Peter, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the right question. This is the right question based on the information that they just received. What do we do now? Oh my gosh. They're not, hey, they're not arguing with Peter about the crucifixion they're not plain semantics with peter well i mean i was there but i what none of that they were cut to the heart and then they asked the right question what shall we do and peter said this verse 38 repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit Peter says, listen, it's, you, you simply turn away from your sin. That's what repentance is. It's a turning away from your old life and it's a turning to Christ. It's a direct turnaround. It's a change of mind. I'm not going to do the same things. I'm turning away from that. Lord, I'm turning to you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He's not saying that baptism is the production of salvation. What he's saying is belief is the, is, the, is the production of salvation and the repentance of turning away all that process and baptism is the declaration that you've done it. Now, that this was something they would have known. That's why there's no explanation here about that. There's no explanation because salvation, they understood in this culture that when somebody believed and was converted to say Judaism, that one part of that process was they would be baptized in profession of their faith Uh, um, you know converting to Judaism that's what they would do they understood this so it makes sense that they were then baptized and that that baptism was a declaration that they now belong to Jesus and it's and Peter promises the same promise that he was promised and it's the same promise you can promise that if you repent you turn away from your sins you turn to Jesus Christ and you receive him as your Lord guess what you'll receive the Holy Spirit God will seal you with the Holy Spirit. He will, the Holy Spirit will come inside of you. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the proof that you belong to him. Read Romans chapter eight. It talks about the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the spirit of God inside of us, we're not his. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, 14, the Holy Spirit is the seal that we belong to God. It's the guarantee that we belong to him. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? You'll know it. You'll know it. He goes on here, for, listen, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Messiah was to be the promised one to the nation of Israel, but not just to them. He was to everyone. He was promised to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The the Jews were just the vessel that God would use to bring the Messiah into the world so that they could be the light to the world. And listen, you're the same in that way. You're his representatives in this world, and you're the light of the world, Jesus said, and you're called to go tell people about the Lord. That's what the Jews were supposed to do in the first place. Jesus came, and he lived for us, and he, he opened up an avenue of salvation for everyone who believes. Anybody who wants to call upon his name can. He goes on here. He tells us that he, he also, there's a process in which he's drawing us, isn't it? John 6, 44. No one can come to the Father unless they're drawn. You know, how does that all work? To be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a spiritual thing that's happening. The, we see it right here. These guys are cut to the heart. They want to know what's the next step. What do I do? Peter says, repent, be baptized. They're ready. The Holy Spirit is drawing. The Holy Spirit is drawing these guys. They're ready, at least 3,000 of them, and they get saved. It's for everyone. He goes on in verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. man. What a word for us today, guys. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Man, we don't know what's right from wrong anymore. And I'm pretty sure that's just going to continue to widen. I don't think it's going to get narrower. I think it's going to get wider. What can we do about it? Hey, we can be the light. We can be a light until the Lord, until the Lord calls us home, folks, guys. You might get canceled. You might lose some relationships. But listen. It's better than just sitting back and letting the world just be deceived. We have the words of life. Use them. Tell people about the Lord. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. He wraps it up the same way. It's wrapped up the same way it began when Peter exhorted, hey, let this be known to you and give ear. And then he says, those who did that, they end up getting saved. It just, just tells us, man, we have to be open to the word of God as we come to the word of God. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord, today's the Lord. Today's the day. Call upon his name. He wants to save you. He wants your sins to be forgiven. He wants to reconcile you. He wants to bring you into eternity this morning. But, but understand the cost. It's a giving up of your life. It's making him the Lord of your life, committing yourself to him and him alone for the rest of your life. No longer about you, it's about him and whatever he wants to do. It is that way anyway. I say you just accept the free gift of salvation this morning and you go to heaven with us. How about that? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.